Hello, and welcome to the Love Shared podcast from the River Church in Redlands with the latest in our dialogue series. Our monthly discussion where we sit down with great guests and dive into conversation at the intersection of faith and society. In episode 17, Pastor Scott Elgersma leads a powerful and informative discussion on the Christian Reformed Church and their stance on same-sex marriage. Check out the show notes for any additional information from the episode. Now, let's get started. Welcome, everyone, tonight to Dialogue at the River. Uh, obviously, I'm Pastor Scott, and we are here tonight to uh, do a little bit of learning and do a little bit of discussing of uh, something that within our denomination uh, this past summer has become a, um, an important discussion uh, because uh, at Synod 2016, I'll, t- I'll talk to you a little bit about what Synod is in a couple of minutes. At Synod 2016, um, this was a year in which they received a report called Committee to Provide Pastoral Guidance Regarding Same-Sex Marriage. Now, really quickly, uh, I'm just going to show you. This is the report. It is well over 90 pages long, um, and there is a lot of stuff in here. Uh, It's not just stuff in terms of decisions that were made. Uh, It's also a whole lot of stuff that is helpful for um, anybody who is interested in learning and thinking about and wondering how did we come to this place historically um, that we're in in our culture talking about same-sex marriage? Uh, Also, what are some of the policies that are in place both here in the United States and in Canada? And also, what is the history, what is sort of the trajectory of the uh, discussion within the Christian Reformed Church of which the river is a part of. So it gives you a whole lot of background. It also gives you some really um, insightful stuff about um, uh, how we think about this biblically, how we think about this theologically. Um, it, uh, this, this report is, is pretty exhaustive with a lot of different things, and you have access to it. It's not just for me as a pastor. It's for anyone who would like to go on to, and you can get your pencil out if you'd like the website address. I can give that to you. Um, It's on the CRC website, and that is crcna.org.org. And if you go onto the top tab under resources, and then as you go down to the next page and you look down, you'll find Synod resources. And you look for Acts of Synod or Agenda of Synod 2016. This material is stuff that you're going to find there. It is a long document. The Acts of Synod and the Agenda of Synod, which Bill Beerling memorizes every year. The Agenda for Synod is generally about 700 to 750 pages long. The Acts of Synod is another 300 pages. So you've got to do a little bit of digging. But here's what I can tell you. If you want to be informed, if you want to have a deeper understanding, not only of what the CRC's position is, but also um, just some good thinking. There's good resources here. Uh, 
and you're looking for something like that uh, that can help you think about it, help you maybe in a specific uh, situation that you're experiencing um, within your own family or friends or otherwise, uh, this is certainly a good tool. Now, I've given you this resource. Some of you have immediately forgotten it. You don't even know where you could go now to find it. If you ever have questions and are looking for something like this, please, I would love to help you find that. And uh, you can certainly email me or connect with me in my office. Before we get to sort of the meat and the potatoes of what the decision is, I am going to ask you to talk amongst yourselves. I'm going to ask you to get in groups of two or three, and I would like you, or actually three or four, I'd like you to get into groups of three or four, and I would like you to be in a group that is within a group that you, uh, with a person you're not married to. So you may not be with your spouse if your spouse is here with you. Um, get into a group of three or four, and I want you to ask this question in your group. I want you to ask this question. Um, if, because I know not all of you can say you have, some of you can say that you have. If you were invited to a same-sex-oriented wedding by someone, would you go? And why or why not? Okay? Before we do that, here's one thing that I want to remind. I want to set some ground rules. (laughs) First of all, not everyone in this room agrees with you. And that I can say without exception. Because there are people in this room who will have very different perspectives than you do. Not only does not everyone in this room not agree with you, they also have very different experiences than you do. They maybe, for them, this is conceptual. It's something that's out there, it's in our society, it's in our culture, and we're thinking about it conceptually. For others of you, it's intensely personal. You can put a name to this. And that name is someone that you love or have close relationship with. And so as we talk in our groups, and even as we talk here from the front, we want to be very intentional about the sort of language that we use and how we use it. Because if we do not, if we're not intentional about it, the possibility of causing offense and then also then causing conflict and not having an effective dialogue is very real. And goodness knows in our culture we can learn better how to dialogue about hard things, correct? We can do that better. Well, we can do that here. So let's do that here. And I want you to look around the room. Everyone look around the room. These are people that you love. So even if we disagree, even if there are varying perspectives, some of which you don't even agree with, understand that this is done in a community of love. I love all of you. I hope you love me and love each other. And let's have a discussion loving each other more than we want to be right. Does that make sense? Let's love each other more than we want to be right. Groups of three or four, the question is posed. If you were asked to go, or if since you have, or however that is phrased for you, If you were asked to go to a same-sex wedding, would you go? And why or why not? Spend about maybe 10 minutes doing that. Have your discussion. Person who, uh, make sure you're not with your spouse in your discussion group. And we'll come back here in a moment. All right?
try to settle down in your groups pretty quickly. If not, just jump into a, a larger group. That's okay, too. If you could walk around, that'd be great. Yep. Figure about another five minutes.
About a minute and a half, two minutes. All right. Hope you've had a little bit of time to share. What I would like to ask is this, and David uh, will have a microphone that will be available to you. Um, I'd like to get a snapshot of maybe three, um, three groups or three people within your... If somebody said something good in your group, maybe point to them and say, hey, you need to say it, um, or, or something like that. Um, is there anyone who's willing to sort of share a perspective that they have. And if you can do so in five sentences or less, that would be really helpful for time. Anyone willing to uh, take the leap off of the Canyon Herald? Well, I have some personal friends that I went to high school with and same-sex marriages, and I've been asked to go there, but I've always been busy to it because I told them, well, I told one that I don't condone it, but I still love them. Oh. And uh, they don't go to church actively. And I told them as long as they don't push it on me, don't push it on, you know, don't push it toward me. And, uh, but we are supposed to love everybody equally. Mm. And uh, sometimes it's hard. They put stuff on Facebook, but I've learned to, they don't show it as much anymore because the backlash that they've gotten but uh, I've, I've been to dinner with them, and that was even odd, mm. having dinner with them, not explaining to them how I felt that it was, you know, wrong mm. in my religion, because I grew up Catholic, and now I'm a Christian. It was really tough, and one of them was an ex-girlfriend of mine, so that was pretty tough just to talk to her. It's like, sure. you know, what happened? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You said something a couple times. You said the word hard. Yeah. And you said the word tough. Yeah. I think that those are incredibly key terms that for us as we seek to walk faithfully in the calling of God in our lives and through scripture, this becomes hard because we are called to be people of love, people of grace, but we are also called to be people of truth and living out truth and love well, goodness knows, if anyone here is fully capable of doing that perfectly, let me know, because I have a couple instances where I'd like to use you, okay? Uh, it's difficult. Is there anyone else? Yes? I'm going to a same-sex marriage in February. My sister's getting married. Mm. And she's been with this girl for a very long time. And she doesn't know Jesus Christ the way she should. I don't think, and it's very hard for me because I've, every time I try to talk to her about him, she, like a mental block goes up. She won't hear it. And I do worry about her soul, 
So I'm going to go to her wedding, but I'm not taking my daughter because I don't want my daughter to see that kind of stuff. I don't condone mm -hmm. it, but I am going to go because I love her. Thank you. That's, that's, a, that's a, good, a good perspective. Anyone else? George. We'll take George as the final one because I have some material that I want, information I want to share with you. I think, I, I hope I don't speak for everyone here, but I think uh, sort of the consensus was to a certain extent uh, I don't think any of us are comfortable with it. We're probably very uncomfortable with it, and the choice would probably be not to go. But uh, I think a lot of it would depend on who it was and the personal relationship that we would have with right. that individual. And um, if it's one of your children, one of your grandchildren, or are very close, uh, then it changes the whole complexion of how you look at those kind of, of things. So I think uh, really uh, it would depend on really for us, I think all of us here, of who it was yeah. and the situation that uh, entailed after that. Super. Thank you, George. So um, I already said that this is personal for some because we think about that for children, grandchildren, friends, close relationships. My guess is it's also personal for some because statistically in this room, we have at least... I would say the statistics would show three people who have had sexual attraction identity uh, things to work through. This is personal. This is personal, and that's what makes it so difficult, so hard, as Harold says. And within that, Scripture does give guidance. It does. But it doesn't give always the most distinctly clear guidance when it comes to something like, do you attend a same-sex wedding or not? Right? You don't, we don't have passages in Scripture. We don't have a same-sex wedding that Jesus is invited to, and he doesn't go to that one, but he goes to the one at Canaan where he changes the water into wine. We don't have that. Or we don't have one that he does go to. So it's a little bit more, we have to do some discernment. And we've been doing that for a long time in the CRC. Some history. The CRC actually on this issue has been relatively progressive as a church. We have addressed this concern, this challenge, or this, uh, this dialogue, I think is a better term, already over 43 years ago. There is a report that was brought to Synod in 1973. And it's a very pivotal report to everything that we think about now because that report came to the conclusion that people who are same-sex oriented, and we need to get some terms here right, same-sex oriented are fully included in the kingdom of God and we welcome them into full membership. Okay, so same-sex oriented. We're talking about somebody who has attraction. If someone is living into a live lifestyle of same-sex relationship and practice, that that is outside of God's word and its teachings. And that person, what we would, the classical term that we would use in the church, is addressed with discipline, discipline within the church. That was our understanding already back in 73. And if you think about 43 years ago, thinking about and having a dialogue about homosexuality, about same-sex orientation in this country, that's a pretty progressive comment for a church to make. 
even claiming at the time that someone who is same-sex oriented is still an image bearer of Christ and can be fully welcomed into communion within the church. We're we're basically saying someone who is a celibate but uh, has same-sex attraction is similar to anyone else who has compulsions towards behaviors but does not live into those behaviors. Does that make sense to everyone? Okay, that's 73. 2002, another report. This gives more pastoral guidance. Not as pivotal as 73, but gives and helps expand our understanding a little bit. But in light of this whole issue of same-sex marriage, that's our topic of tonight. Not homosexuality, not same-sex orientation, but a marriage ceremony. How do we give pastoral guidance to churches on how we participate in those? 2013 at Synod, they commissioned a study committee. Three years of work. It's a committee of about 15 people. Fairly diverse group. Generationally, ethnically, there's lots of different things that are going on into a study committee in order to do this work. They got three years. They reported 2016. Over three years, they do work. They listen at churches. In fact, it's ended last year when I was there in 2015. We had a listening session with that study committee so they could hear from us some of our perspectives. It took about two hours of dialogue within synod with all the members who were there that day. They've done that in churches, in classes. They've done it in specific areas and had specific meetings. They sent out just a survey. I remember filling out that survey about two and a half years ago. Some of you may have, been, have seen that survey at the time. And they took all that information in, heard a lot of that stuff, did a lot of prayer, did a lot of discernment, and came up with a report that they were going to present at Senate this year. It's 15 people on a committee. Do you think everyone agrees? In fact, that's exactly what happened. A lot of the work that was done on the committee, and it's fairly exhaustive, like I said, over 90 pages. 13 of the people, and I think it's 13, my numbers may be off there, but it's awfully close, 13 people on the committee created what we call in synod vernacular vocabulary a majority report. And that majority report gave some pastoral guidance, gave a whole lot of teaching, gave a whole lot of understanding, and they submitted that report to synod as the majority report of the pastoral guidance for churches on same-sex marriage. There were two others on the committee. Those two others saw things differently. And they wrote about a 20-page report. We call that the Committee to Give Pastoral Guidance to Churches on Same-Sex Marriage Minority Report. Both reports go to the floor of Synod because you're asked as a study committee to present. So both reports come. This one has some disagreements with the minority report but accepts and embraces a significant portion of it. Huge percentages of it are embraced and agreed with, except for a couple things. Synod on the floor, and if you've ever seen Synod at work, it's uh, a gangly, it's like a gangly teenager that doesn't know where all its arms are sometimes, and it just, it, it has to figure things out. There's committees that give guidance to Synod. A committee met to give guidance on this issue, came to the floor of Synod and made some recommendations. And the recommendations that they started with were this. That synod, and I want to get this correctly because it's important. It's an important vocabulary issue. That synod receive the majority report and minority reports as information. 
I'll talk about that in one moment. And recommend to the churches the pastoral guidance of the minority report in conversation and in keeping with the synodical decisions of 1973 and 2002. So, here's what Synod can do with any report it receives. It has four options. It can adopt, meaning a report comes and you hear the recommendations that they say. You say, good, we like it, adopt. It becomes doctrine. It's, pushed, it's moved through church order. It becomes sort of the law of the land. That makes sense? You can reject or dismiss or turn down. I can't remember exactly what the word is there. Which means that in essence, thank you, but no. We don't receive it. We don't take it. We don't spread it. It happened, but it, it didn't happen. Or you can receive for information, basically, thank you for your words. You helped us think. Then you can recommend we heard, if you were listening to my vocabulary, receive for information one report and receive for information and recommend to churches the minority report. Okay? Does that all make sense? I'm just trying to, because this is important stuff in how we think about what we have here. Because you can get caught up in all the particulars. So what we have that has not been adopted, it's not the law of the land. But it is recommended to churches is this. Here's the particulars. That when it comes to ceremonies of same-sex orientation, if you are a member of the Christian Reformed Church in North America, you are, with pastoral guidance and encouragement and with prayer and discernment, able to go to a same-sex um, oriented marriage if you discern that does not violate your conscience and can be perhaps even a blessing in sharing love in the gospel, a love for a sister. Okay? So as a member, that that is appropriate. As a member, you may attend. As a member, if you are asked to participate, so for example, if you were asked to stand for your sister in her wedding. That's a little harder because that's not just attendance. That becomes participation. Participations can be read as approval, right? Not always, but sometimes. So trying to discern what it means to, for someone to feel approval by a participation. Another example that could be given, a father who's estranged from a son but asked to pray at the same-sex-oriented marriage of his son, who asks in almost a last-ditch effort to have a relationship with his father. That can happen, but it is also something that we need to be very wise discerning and do that within community. Does that make sense? Okay, I hope I see not. If you are an office bearer, elders, deacons, ministers of the word, different story. Okay? You may, according to the recommendations, remember, not law of the land, but recommended to churches, you are um, able with discernment and with wisdom to attend a same-sex oriented wedding, but you hold the gravity of your office with you when you go. So if I were in 
asked to attend. You know, I have a, uh, we have a, a, a connection through one of Katie's friends to a family that we actually love dearly. And the son is living into a lifestyle of same-sex orientation. If they were to invite um, us to go and attend the wedding, as a pastor, I could go. But I would have to do so with razor's edge discernment. How am I living into that that I am not giving an approval? Because we as a community, remember 73, we believe that homosexual, um, same-sex oriented activity, sexual activity is outside the word of God, that my attendance might be giving some sort of tacit approval. In terms of participation, as office bearers, we are called to not participate in any same-sex oriented weddings because we carry our office and are held to a higher standard. As elders, we carry Christ in a, a way that is held and seen in a different fashion. Okay? Now, all of this is done in light of the fact that we still have to go through the hard work that Harold was talking about of how we do that. That's where it gets hard. And that's where we as churches, that's where we want to do this in a level of community. If you have, for example, an invitation to a same-sex oriented wedding, we as church leadership welcome being invited into that conversation so that we can walk through that with you. How do you do this well? Let's not be isolated in this. This is hard. And it is personal. And it is difficult in some instances to try to show love and yet speak truth. How do we do that? We want to be able to help. And we want to be able to discern as a community what is best. And because there are situations that are subjective... You know, I think of the pain of a family where a son perhaps has decided to live into a lifestyle that is not the lifestyle of, of the parents. And that son becomes estranged from their parents. And yet he says, you know what? I'm getting married. I'm going to invite my folks. They haven't talked in a few years and the invitation comes. As a parent, you can imagine it would be almost impossibly painful to say no. And yet, what do you do? What do you do? And for some, I know that's very personal because you've walked through that or you know someone who's very close to you who has walked through that. How do we do that? We do that within community. The final thing that Synod 2016 did on this particular issue is they said that on a lot of this stuff, our vocabulary is not updated. 73, remember, is the report that we sort of base a lot of this stuff on. It's 43 years ago. The vocabulary and the thinking about some of this particular issue and dialogue was a very different dialogue at the time. And this report reflects that. So we need to go back and sort of update some of the vocabulary. We also have what we call in the church different hermeneutic. Hermeneutics is how we read the text. And in the last 43 years, a number of different hermeneutical challenges have come up to how we've read the initial texts on homosexuality. Now, those things aren't changing, 
But how do we address some of the new hermeneutics? How do we answer some of the challenges that are given with some of the new understandings of the text? How do we, um, in essence, continue to say, regardless of these new things that you're bringing, we still believe what we believe? So that work has to continue. Thus, Synod 2016, a new study committee was reported because Synod loves study committees. And they created a new one. And this one actually, instead of a three-year mandate like this committee had, has a five-year mandate. But as soon as you hear what their job is, you'll understand why. Their job is to give an understanding to the church and give pastoral guidance to churches on how we understand sexuality and gender. Now you think about how challenging that discussion is in our present day. When we think not just about sexuality, same-sex orientation, or bisexual orientation, but then we also talk about gender, transgender, queer gender, um, asexual, all the different new letters that are added to the acronyms of gender. How do we think about that in light of the text? You can imagine how difficult this work will be. This is in many ways a very pivotal study and conversation for the, the future of our church on how we think about some of these very contemporary issues that are not going away. We know that, right? We know. And, and I can tell you, folks, because I know some of the stories, we have people in here almost every Sunday who are in these places themselves. We have people in here who are same-sex oriented. We've had more than a few um, folks who've come through who are in same-sex relationships. We've had people who are gender dysphoric, meaning they're questioning what they are, who they are, what their identity is. We've had them. This is not an out there conversation. This is an in here conversation. This is an us. And so walking this stuff through with some understanding, with some discernment, with some biblical and theological grounding that we can, we can speak truth, but we can speak it in love and do the hard work again of trying to do that with great discernment and in the community is something that I'm committed to. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this tonight. And let me tell you, I didn't have to go far to have somebody discourage me from having this conversation at all because I sleep next to her every night. <laughs> Kristen didn't want me to do this. She, in fact, did not sleep well last night. Because we know that this is an issue that can bring up great passion and great frustration, even anger. It can bring up pain. But my commitment to you as a pastor is we cannot be afraid of the difficult things. There will be people who listen to this podcast who I'm sure I will get comments from. I may be even some of you who send me an email and say, Pastor, you're full of garbage. This is junk. I really struggle with this because I see things differently. But I'm not going to be afraid of that. I'm not going to be afraid to love even those who disagree. I'm not going to be afraid to um, challenge those who perhaps on a more conservative side aren't as loving as they perhaps should be or as graceful as they perhaps should be. 
You still might get a kick in the pants in love from me or from another who's in leadership here because we need to be committed to that. That's what a healthy community does. A healthy community deals with stuff. Stuff that the world is dealing with. Why? Because we want to be in relationship with the world, don't we? A relationship of love. A relationship of grace. A relationship of communication of what the love of Jesus looks like. And if we ignore these issues, if we put our head in the sand and say, we don't want to deal with them because they're too hard and they're too tough, then we absolutely water down the gospel. Because the gospel, it's an affront, right? It's an affront to culture. It's an affront to the world. But it doesn't mean we stop sharing it. And the amazing thing about the love of Jesus Christ is that it has power to even break through the difficulty of an affronted or insulted culture. We bring that power with us. We have a time for questions. I do really want to emphasize, be wise. Be wise either in what you say and how, or how you say it. Um, because again, not everyone in here, you can't expect everyone to nod their head and agree because we don't. Let's be wise, let's be discerning and let's be sensitive and let's continue to talk. Questions? Yes, right up here. He has a microphone for you, Sharon. So here at the river, yes, you would marry same-sex marriage. I would marry? Yeah. The answer is no. I would not participate in a ceremony. In fact, and this is probably at our next council meeting, there are um, articles of incorporation suggestions, meaning basically the leadership structure documents that we operate under and then communicate to the people in the world who interact with the church. We're going to be doing some work on our articles of incorporation to be clear that we believe that same-sex oriented weddings are in disagreement with the word of God that our pastors would not officiate and nor would we allow the facility use of such a wedding. Okay? Does that clarify? That's clear. Thank you. Thank you. No. You're welcome. Anyone else? Yes, Wilma. Yes, please use the microphone because there's people listening online and they want to be able to hear you. <laughs> um, if you follow the policy of the Bible, there's never a problem. And I feel we put God first in every situation, then I think the right answer will always come out. Just perfect. And I love that perspective, Wilma. It certainly grounds us in the Word of God. The challenge continues to be that there are some people who read, and you can grab your Bible and hold it in your hand in front of you, who read that exact same Bible as you and I do and read it differently. And that's the ongoing challenge in a culture that we live in. And I, I, I value, that's one of the reasons, and, and folks, if you didn't know one of the great privileges that we have in the CRC, it's this. It does take a long time to make decisions, believe me. 
I've been a part of this stuff now for, for now 43 years of my life and 20 years of ministry. It takes a long time for us to make decisions. Remember women in office, right? How long it took to walk through that process. But the beautiful part is, is that constantly in that process, we're going to the word of God. And not only are we hearing different perspectives on it, we're seeing what God is leading us towards, what's God's perspective for us. What is the community hearing from the Holy Spirit about what he's teaching us from his word? And it's something that over time, Lord willing, God continues to shape and form. So somebody who may read the exact same passage that I read and reads it very differently, that over time, as we discuss, dialogue, pray, discern, work together with others, hear different perspectives, that God continues to shape and form and move us in a place where we find out what his will is for it. That's one of the great things that you have as being a part of the CRC. What's interesting is if you go to the CRC's website and you go to Synod Resources and you'll see, you'll see Acts of Synod 2016. And then you'll see under that Acts of Synod 2015, Acts of Synod 2014. And then you'll start scrolling the page down and you'll get to Acts of Synod 1974 and Acts of Synod 1962 and Acts of Synod 1914 and Acts of Synod 1892. Why? Because we have been doing this work of trying to discern what God's word is telling us to do in the world that we live in. What is he calling us towards? It takes time. It takes great patience. It takes great wisdom and discernment. But we as a church are a part of something that's been going for a very long time with that express purpose of seeking to know and understand what God's word says. And honestly, I believe this this report to faithfully reflect scripture. But I'm also not foolish. I know that God can continue to change and shape and form this even in different ways as we discern his will and his word. I don't think this would change, but I, we may gain a deeper understanding of it as we dialogue together. How do we express it better? How do we live into it better? God's gonna continue to shape and form that in us and guide us as we do this in work. The CRC denomination is over 300,000 people throughout North America. A lot of them don't do much when it comes to this. But there's a lot who do really, really good work. It was funny. I had two phone conversations in preparation for tonight with two people who attended Synod 2016. I went to seminary with both of them. They're both in their mid-late 30s. And good grief are these gifted people. And they care deeply. And they read God's word faithfully. And they think and pray regularly. I am proud to be in partnership with them to discern how we do this. And how we discern God's word together. Another question. Other questions? Yes, George. Well, <clears throat> I'm going to dredge up a little of the past. I think, you know, we've, we've always looked uh, in my youth as... A divorce was verboten other than yep. the transgression of the seventh commandment. Uh, I think our views have changed under those circumstances. Mm -hmm. We look at it here. We've alienated a number of people in the past by just um, you know, kicked them out the door in so many words. Um, but also, I just uh, 
I think we have to look at the forgiveness portion of this. That Absolutely. We sometimes have to we overlook. And the respect is, I think we look at. Uh, uh, I'm sure, like in the, the uh, if we weren't uh, as we called it, divorced biblically, uh, you know, in the lies of the law, we're still divorced. But you know, if these people confess their sins before the Lord, and I'm sure the Lord has forgiven them. I really struggle with the fact is that I can't. And I think I look at uh, this whole situation here, and as I pointed out earlier, I would undoubtedly probably not go to a same-sex marriage. But I also want to consider who it is and how that affects my life, my family's life, and my church family's life as to how this all comes into play as we go work through a process. And uh, so I'm not, but I, I, I can look back, and I think a lot of us here can look back, as how we have dealt with divorce mm. and uh, how, how, our, how our opinions and all this type of thing have changed in respect. I don't think any of us agree with divorce, but I think it has changed sure. a great deal. Yeah, it has. And, and, and for us to gain, I, I remember when I was uh, heavily into youth ministry, uh, what I would do is this. I would go up to a whiteboard and I would make a series of dots. Dot, 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 dot. Circle, fairly big, dot. And I would say to the people who are in my youth group, I would say, this is lying. Is lying a sin? Yes. Is this pride? Is pride a sin? Yes. This is stealing. Is stealing a sin? And I would go through all this and I would say, this big circle is homosexuality. Is this a sin? And they would say yes. And I said, aren't all the others the same? Because we've made this a really big circle in the life of the church, right? We've said that homosexuality is across a line that many of us are uncomfortable with. In part, it has to do with the ick factor. For many of us, it's disgusting, right? Or that's how we see it, that's how we feel about it. And so that disgust leads us to condemn it to a greater degree than the gossip within our church. And yet that's not what God's word does, does it? It says, if we sin, it doesn't say if we are gay or lesbian, same-sex oriented. It doesn't say if we are a thief, then he is faithful and just to forgive our sin. It doesn't say anything about it. It says, if we sin. God's grace is there for all the, what I would call, I don't want to make homosexuality a dot. I want to make them all big circles. <laughs> Let's face them all. Let's deal with them all. Let's live into forgiveness, grace, and repentance of them all. Other questions? I'm going to take one more. Yes, Mario. To your knowledge, um, as we as a denomination go forward in, the, in these decisions, these recommendations, to your knowledge, do you know um, if synod has been discussion or approve or disapproval of those in ministry? with the struggle or partaking of same-sex relationship? Yeah. Um, there are anecdotes there. And what I can tell you is this, that those have been confronted, but they've been confronted in different ways because they're all subjective. 
um, those things are dealt with, or I, I don't even like using that phrase. They are, discipline is exercised. And discipline can be anything from formal acts of discipline to ongoing discussion and dialogue. It can be withholding the means of grace, what we used to traditionally think of as, as discipline in the church, where we ask somebody not to come to the table for communion. That's what we call, uh, you know, the means of, of God's grace. You're, we're withholding that. Um, all the way to, um, uh, what, well, actually, Article 17s, that would be for um, a, uh, inappropriate behavior. So um, those are situations. Let me give you one, and, and this, is, this is something, thank you for bringing that up. I have one little soapbox that I'm going to get on, because there's a complexity here, and if you can walk through the complexity with me for one minute, there's a reason I'm bringing it up. Let's say, okay, that there is a same-sex oriented couple, we'll say two women, who come and begin to attend the river. They've adopted two children, and their children are a part of children's ministry. Would we welcome them in? Would we welcome them into worship? Let me say it that way. Would we welcome them into worship, to coming into the doors and being with us on Sunday morning? Would we? Absolutely. Why not, right? Because we welcome in alcoholics every Sunday. We welcome in people who are, are um, liars every Sunday because this is a place for God, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit to meet somebody who is living in whatever lifestyle, right? So we welcome them into worship. But something changes in them in that God meets them in Jesus Christ. God's word has power in their life. And they say, we love this community and we want to become members, what will we say? Okay? Now let me give you the complexity. Here's what we ask of new members. We all churches should. We say, you are welcome into membership with the understanding that you are allowing God's word and the Holy Spirit to transform your life. That you are allowing God to come in and make you new. And they say, yes, absolutely, we welcome it. And they are convicted to a point where they say, we no longer believe that it is godly or biblical to engage in same-sex oriented sexual behavior with each other. We feel so transformed. But they are civilly married. And there are benefits to their civil marriage, correct? They have children. One can sign off on hospital things. One can, you know, be considered a caregiver or whatever, a mom or a mom to the kids. And they are in a same-sex civil union. And there is benefit to that, of great benefit. Would we call them to end that same-sex civil union? And my answer would be no. If they are willing, and they have said they are, to live into a celibate lifestyle together because of what God has given them in same-sex civil union for their children. Do you understand sort of what I'm getting at here? You see the complexity that we walk into here? So it is conceivable... <laughs> that there could be a same-sex civilly married couple within the membership of the river and we would welcome them. 
That's the hard work we're in, folks. That's the complex world that we have to live in. And that's challenging, isn't it? It's got hard stuff. But we see, if we see God transforming, then I want to welcome God's transformation. If we see God's grace at work, I want to express God's grace. And I want to live into that. As we close, let's close in prayer. And then... Um, thank you all for coming. Uh, I have one closing announcement after we pray, and uh, I'll dismiss you all. Father, give us wisdom. Give us discernment. May we live into love and truth, and truth and love. I pray even, Lord, that you give us the privilege somehow of that dialogue in this community with people who are in this challenge, this, this thinking, this stuff. Give us that privilege, Lord, because we know it stretches us and that scares some of us. I know people's heart rate went up even when I said that. But Lord, we also know that that's a place where we can deeply exercise your grace and your love and your wisdom and be founded deeply in your word. And Lord, that's where we want to be. And if you give us places and spaces where you call us to do that, then Lord, may we do it in great faith. I pray that today. Thank you for this community that continues to have the courage to think about pray through, discern, go into the word for hard things. And Lord, when we have the opportunity, we express and live into those hard things in love, grace, and truth. Pray these things all in Christ. Amen. Final note. September 14, dialogues are beginning again. These are the sorts of things that we want to get together and talk about. And I don't know about some of you, there were probably some of you who dreaded coming tonight because you didn't really want to think or talk about this. Some of you might have been excited. I think I was a little bit of both. Um, But these are the sorts of places that we want to think and pray and discern because these are places where God gives us growing edges and that's a good thing. If you do have any other questions, if you're looking for resources, if you want the website address again or how to get some of these materials, please feel free to email me in the office, elgersma at therivercrc.com. I'll try to direct you in the right direction. Thanks for coming. We'll see you on Sunday morning. How beautiful are the feet of the ones who share the good news of God.